This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I know Monday, a lot of you took off. You were up late. If you're in the East Coast time, about 10.30, the game ended. Super Bowl, Rams win uh, 23-20. Uh, mount a 70-plus yard uh, drive, all about Cooper Cup. Uh, and he was able to pull up the victory. Not a huge surprise. Uh, but it was a surprise. They had to come from behind the way they did. And the way Joe Burrow was unable to even get a field goal at the end, I thought to myself, this is going to tie 23-23, and then it's going to be a uh, toss of the coin for overtime. But we'll see. It didn't happen. Uh, the Rams win. But the Rams are not built for long term. They are built for success now. I'll talk to that with Matt, Matt Light, who's got a, also a great foundation. He was a three-time Super Bowl champ, three-time Pro Bowler, long-time New England Patriot. That'll bring you some championships. Uh, and then Andrew McCarthy will unwind what we now know about the Doran probe, which is rarely moving. It's slow, but it is certain, and it is titanic in its discovery. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Justin Trudeau, I mean, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. Then I started to read what he, he said. He said they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate these? Now you do sound like no, Hitler. That, I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. And he was referring to his Trudeau's description of truck drivers, and that rubs Bill Maher the wrong way. Believe it or not, the Trucker Freedom Convoy is under siege as the bridges uh, be, uh, begin to open but remain in the Canadian capital. We will have the latest on the protests and maybe weeks away from our own capital and more proof COVID-19 restrictions evaporate as we watch the rich, famous, and the powerful politicians maskless at the Super Bowl while our kids go to school with masks on. What a joke. Number two. It's certainly not a sign that things are moving in the in the right direction. It's certainly not a sign that Mr. Putin has any intention to de-escalate the, escalate the tensions. And it's certainly not a sign that uh, that he's uh, recommitting himself to a diplomatic path forward. So it doesn't give us any cause for optimism. Well, that is true. And that is John Kirby. Is Russia getting ready for war or is it all a ruse? Ukraine is going about business as usual, and the conversation between Biden and Putin produces no progress. Now the Germans will try their hand today in Russia. We will bring you the latest. Number one. He is basically laying out a case of where a number of laws were, were, have been broken by the Clinton campaign. Durham has evidence of, a, uh, of compromising of uh, computer systems in an attempt to try to basically frame the president of the United States as having uh, Russia ties. You believe that they hacked into the White House computers through a cyber firm that was contracted to the White House. They corrupted it. 
Massive. That's how I label the latest information on the Durham probe. No joke. No one outside Fox is covering this, and they will not be able to avoid it much longer because arrests are going to be made, and they got to get higher, 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 or indictments handed out. So let's get started. Uh, in an effort to break this down in a way that's easily digestible, because we don't know everything, just know this. When the president said someone's tapping my phones, tapping our uh, information after he was elected at Trump Tower, he was 100% right. That according to John Durham. Now, John Durham is getting to the, the heart of this. And the closer he gets, they're going to go after his credibility. They haven't yet. But we have on the record John Durham being praised by people like Eric Holder and many Democrats saying, well, this is a probe I don't think we need. But he's got a lot of credibility. That's why William Barr gave him the account. And when nothing came out, I thought, what's going on with the dorm tweet? Well, it turns out it is bigger than we could have imagined. And the way, the way to put it, I guess Donald Trump said this. What Hillary Clinton and the radical left Democrats did with respect to spying on the president, even while you're in office, is far bigger crime than Watergate. It will be interesting to see how it is covered by the media and what Mitch McConnell and the rhinos will be doing about it. This is an insult of the Republican Party, but a greater insult to our nation. I agree with every word he said. And Mitch McConnell should play it fair. And Adam Kinzinger or Liz Cheney, too. They should come out and express outrage at this. Not for pandering, because it's fact. Because what they found out is that in July of 2016, a guy named Jake Sullivan, same guy, a guy named Mark Elias, still doing evil things with elections as far as 2020 and maybe trying to do it in 2022, along with Michael Sussman already indicted, we're working to create a scenario to link fictitious links, create fictitious links between Russia, the Alpha Bank, and Donald Trump. Alpha Bank is a big Russian bank, which they were claiming Donald Trump is ferrying money through because he's being paid off by Vladimir Putin. They said, look at the hacking of our elections. He got elected illegally, irresponsibly. Russia put him in office. So you might have believed it or not believed it, depending on who you voted for. You may not have voted for Donald Trump. You may say to yourself, he is the worst president ever, and I ne- I'm a Republican, but I'm never going to vote for him. This should outrage you to the core. If you're the most liberal Democrat not involved, you are outraged to the core. Can you imagine if right now the Republicans were tapping the phones and starting false narratives about Joe Biden by using a private contractor, contracted uh, a, a cyber firm, contracted to the White House, and putting in the mainstream a fictitious link? Between Joe Biden and XYZ country. So here's a a little of how this thing is unfolding. Here's Mike Turner, cut to. I think that this is going to lead in the end to Brennan, Clapper and Comey. I think that what we see is not just, you know, political shenanigans or opposition research that you would see in the normal, um, you know, campaigns where people are, are trying to find information out about their opponents. This is where government is being used, where information that's political opposition research that is false is being made up is trying to be placed into um, the government, into the FBI, into to undertake criminal investigations that are absolutely false. So think about this. You heard about Russia, Russia, Russia. It totally destroyed any relationship that we could have had over the last four years prior to this one with Russia, because every time the president moved forward, they go, look about his Russia links. He's too close to Vladimir Putin. Why is he not being tougher on Putin? He kind of liked him personally. I don't know why. But everything he did, uh, sanctioning the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, making it stop, sanctioning them for doing uh, things in the Middle East. We can go on and on and on. It was President Obama who took the missile shield out of Europe to kiss up to Vladimir Putin. He saw his weakness. 
It is Joe Biden that allowed the Nord Stream 2 to take place. And under Joe Biden is when they're about to invade, it seems, Ukraine. It never happened under Donald Trump. And they had equally disdain for Ukraine at that time. Now Ukraine is actually more ingrained with the West, more interested in joining NATO. So I want Steve Hilton, who's been all over this story, too, has got a big cyber background. I was able to look at some of these legal documents and said this. Now we know, thanks to these documents, the factual background attached to a motion filed by special counsel John Durham as part of his indictment against former Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman, that the Clinton campaign paid a tech firm to, quote, mine Internet data to establish an inference, a narrative, tying then-candidate Trump to Russia. In Durham's words, this included, quote, non-public and or proprietary internet data. What does mining non-public and proprietary data mean? It means hacking. It means spying. And look at their targets, according to Durham. Quote, internet traffic pertaining to, one, a particular healthcare provider, two, Trump Tower, three, Donald Trump Central Park West Apartment Building, and four, the executive office of the President of the United States. Yes, you heard that right. They hacked not just Trump Tower, but the White House. After Trump became president, they hacked the White House. These people who pose as defenders of democracy. How is that even possible? Uh, that's the outrage I had. And I had to wait till late at night, and Maria had it too in the morning, that I see because we had the Super Bowl coverage and there's so many other things going on, the Canadian Rescue, I, the Canadian Freedom Tour, I understand it. Obviously, the Super Bowl, so many other stories involved in it, layered in, big, almost an unofficial American holiday. So here they are. They make up this story, and they're supporting a story that they made up with tweets. So, it's, for example, it's like you writing a novel and then putting somebody else's name on it, having someone hand you that novel that you actually wrote and say, this is the best novel I ever read. I can't believe how great it is, and tweeting out about it. So Hillary Clinton makes up this linkage. Why? Think about what happened in July, these revelations about Hillary Clinton's emails and all the horrible things that she's been up to and things that she said behind everybody's back. It looked like her campaign was going to be destroyed. So how do you change the narrative? You make up a story that Trump has sold out to Russia. Hillary Clinton tweeted this out. Remember, I just told you all these things that Durham has uncovered and is about to uncover. He says this. Computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russian bank. And she had a screen grab in there. He goes on, it's time for Trump to answer serious questions about his ties to Russia. She made up this story, had some tech firm weave in this story into the mainstream. Others pick it up, and then she's tweeting about it as if her campaign is outraged by it. So these tweets resurface as you go and look, examine what were they doing at the time. Most Democrats get this, and this is what I'm encouraged about, Juan Hillary Clinton investigated for any role she played in Russiagate scandal. Guess what? 66%. In October 2021, 44%. That was before these new revelations came out. Now, I don't see any indication that Barack Obama's involved in this. And if he's not, why doesn't he act just as outraged? Because I believe the vice president, his vice president, now president, is involved. And I believe Susan Rice and Bruce Susan Rice's lawyer, who went to Latham Watkins, is all over this. She's involved. But if Barack Obama knew nothing about it, you should come out and say it. I mean, people, Republicans have no problem saying I have nothing to do with Donald Trump. If Barack Obama knew nothing about it, let's hear it. Let's find out. Because this, this Hillary Clinton, the biggest embarrassment in my generation, Bill Clinton, 
whatever he did right has been overrun by everything Hillary Clinton's done wrong. Thank goodness she's not president. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by Matt Light. We'll talk about the Super Bowl, have some fun, and talk about a great organization. Then we're going to unwind what's going on with Durham. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Andrew McCarthy. This is uh, Don't Move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Second and goal. Pass. Cop. Got it. Touchdown. Burrow trying to keep it going. Gets spun down. Gets it away. And incomplete. It looked like Piron might have had a shot to make the grab. But the Rams now running down to celebrate with a defensive play. Sean McVay gets the Gatorade bath after five seasons. We go back to the fact that Michelle was saying before the game, he's thinking about retiring. This could be the end. We don't know. But the Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. They have. And that was, I, I thought Al Michaels uh, really underscored a great game. I, don't, I think they were just too laid back, both of them. But it was an exciting game. 23-20, Rams hold on to win. I thought for sure Joe Burrows was going to come down and get the game-tying field goal and we'll have overtime. What did Matt Light think, former New England Patriot offensive tackle, who runs the Light Foundation? Uh, he's got three Super Bowls under his belt, three Pro Bowls, played for the Patriots for, uh, for 10 years. Matt, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian, great to be with you. And listen, I mean, I did play in five, but I appreciate that you didn't bring that up because there's two of them there that didn't go so well. And you blame the Giants, Giants right? Of course. You blame the Giants for that? No, I, I, I blame ourselves in many ways. And, and ah. I blame the fact that, um, you know, I mean, what, what's with helmets and, and tackiness and, and football sticking to them? I mean, there, there's got to be some explanation, but I haven't figured that one out either. Hey, Matt, uh, first off, what do you think – you, so you've won, them, you've won them and lost them. What do you think the Bengals are thinking today? I mean, they shocked the world getting there. They've had no success for 30 years. And they get there, but they lose by three. What do you think they're thinking today? Because you've woken up having lost. Yeah, you know, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm a kid that grew up in Ohio. I can remember the icky shuffle. I didn't watch any football growing up, but there were things that were bigger than the game of football. There were the, the, the men that played the game that, you know, were, were full of character and just entertainment, right? And when you're, when you're a professional sports figure and all the attention and all the ways that these guys can reach their audience through their own platforms, it's really difficult to describe how you feel in a moment like this because – 
that that's a team that fought and scrapped and no one really gave up. We, I've been there. I've been in that position where the world said there's no way this team can go in and beat this other team or they, they don't even deserve to be there in some, some cases, yet they were but they fell short, and I think this is going to be a great teaching tool for a young team that has a lot of really good players, and I think you're going to see the Cincinnati Bengals continue to do good things, and that's what I hope, because I've got a lot of friends back home that, that hung everything on this one, right? They've been who they, you know, and the Bengals fans been in the jungle forever, and this was that one opportunity. Absolutely. Sean McVay on him retiring at 36, got 10. Coach McVay, congratulations. Take a deep breath and an exhale. Let me get a beer. Let me get the coach a beer. How much pressure is there on you as an offensive play caller in two minutes? We talk about the players feeling the pressure. How about for you? You know, when you have such confidence in the players' ability to execute, Chris, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup came to life. They showed why they're such great players. In the biggest moment, we had to have them. They just made play in and play out. Defense has to make a stop. They end up delivering in a crunch time moment. They just find ways to get it done. Resilient. Our best players shine the brightest when they had to. And that's why they're world champs. And they were saying afterwards, he's like, you know, it's it's like being in the military. He wants to have a quality of life. And he might pull a John Madden and retire young. What do you think? That's an interesting take. I mean, there's a guy that, you know, I, I didn't play for a guy like Sean McVay. I played for a Bill Belichick <laughs> for 11 years, right? And I can tell you how Bill Belichick did things. I can tell you what his mindset was, but I cannot relate to a Sean McVay because, you know, Bill Belichick, he just wants to continue to climb higher. And he had a famous statement when he was sitting down with another really good legendary coach that's in college and a dear friend of his. And, and, and he's listening to this guy talk about being at the top of the mountain, everybody gunning for you. And Bill goes, yeah, but when I'm at the top of the mountain, I'm just trying to figure out how I can climb higher. And so it's hard for me to believe that a guy like Sean McVay is going to walk away from the game given the intensity of which he coaches, the love he has for it. So I bet you he sticks around. All right, that's interesting. So one thing about you, you're still making an impact maybe more than ever uh, off the field. The Light Foundation helps disadvantaged kids learn the skills and values they need to live a meaningful life. Tell me what the what the approach is there. How do you implement that objective? Hey, listen, man, I, I was a kid that never should have been in the position I was, and I had people that stuck by me, family members and friends. I grew up in a tight-knit community in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, right? And so, you know, with everything I was given, I knew we needed to do something to give back, make a difference. And, you know, the year after, we, you know, my rookie season, you know, I didn't know if the ball was pumped or stuffed. That's what my coaches always told me. You know, kid, you're, you're in bonus land. And, and I was. So we formed the foundation to work with kids and, and pull them out of the everyday environment, which today is very isolated, you know, very different than the way I grew up, and get them to meet the people like, you know, my uncle and my dad and my mom and my mother-in-law and all these great you know, mentors and, and people that, that didn't give up on me and said, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable. And by the way, Brian, it's not just that, right? I look at today and I say the pandemic has nothing to do with the virus. It has everything to do with a lack of leadership. And I learned a lot of lessons on the field, my friend. And, and But what happened off the field through my work with other nonprofits and trying to make an impact in kids' lives has taught me that at no point can we sit back and just say somebody else can do it. We have to take charge and we have to lead, even when it's the difficult thing to do. So go to mattlight72.com for more information that to help you out, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, we do a lot of work and uh, encourage people to check it out, come to some of our events and have some fun. But uh, I think we all need to step up, my friend. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate what the rest of your friends on Fox and Friends do. And uh, I want to be a voice for change. Thanks, Matt. True champion. Appreciate it.
Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. There's no real evidence of that. Of course there is. It's all over the place. Donald Trump and William Barr promised that Durham would expose huge corruption, but he hasn't done that. It's apparently an ongoing, concerted Republican and pro-Trump project to try to turn the investigation of the Russia scandal into some kind of scandal itself. So that is some of the outrageous, now outrageous statements. Even back then, they didn't see problems with the link between the DNC, Hillary Clinton, and a lot of this fake information that got us on a Russian frenzy. The fact that Mueller report turned up nothing, they think, is because Robert Mueller lost his fastball. That has never been the case in Andrew McCarthy. wrote a book about this, Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. But uh, Andy... Uh, first off, um, you were ahead of the curve on this you, as an investigator and writer and columnist. You've you've proven that. Go back and read what you had to say. But how would you characterize what we all learned over the weekend? Well, I think it's more confirmation, Brian, that Durham's objective – well, objective is the wrong way of putting his, – his theory that he's operating under is that the Russia collusion political narrative – was basically choreographed, orchestrated, written, distributed, disseminated by the Clinton campaign. Um, I think ultimately people who are uh, in the Trump camp, are. I still think they're going to be disappointed by this because what you don't hear Durham saying, and this is what is the element that is absolutely necessary if you're going to have the big conspiratorial scheme, You don't hear him saying that the government officials were in on it. So what he he seems to be arguing is that, you know, what the Clinton people were doing was nefarious because they had this insider guy um, who had this access to privileged information, this domain uh, name system information for Internet traffic, um, because he had been hired by as a contractor by the government for another purpose, that is to to help the government fend off hacking. Um, And he used that privileged access because he was a Clinton insider at the same time to basically gather information about Donald Trump, which other people, including when Donald Trump was President Trump, which he only had access to because he was, uh, you know, he was a contractor who had this privileged access through the contract. But what you're not hearing Durham say to this point is that the FBI or the CIA or the Obama administration was in on it. Uh, in fact, what he's been saying up until now is that the, they seem to have been duped. In fact, you know, the whole theory of his prosecution of this lawyer uh, from Perkins Coie, uh, Michael Sussman, who was the Clinton uh, and Democratic lawyers, uh, you know, what they're basically saying in this case is that he lied to the FBI about who he was working for. They're not saying this is a conspiracy between the FBI and the Clinton campaign. 
which is what I suspected when I wrote my book, and I'm still not convinced it's not true at some point, at some level. So you're saying with their scenario is the FBI and CIA were duped, which is scary for our country, right. by the Clinton campaign, who put this information Correct. somehow. Now, this is drilling down a little bit. What I found so amazing, they have not named the cyber firm, the tech firm, that was hired with a legitimate government contract. They have not named that firm yet. They turned around and said, here, here's some intelligence for you. Or they put intelligence into the mainframe so they can honestly say they're pulling this out of this alpha bank linked to Trump. And Trump has somehow has, is subservient to Vladimir Putin. But for a cyber, for a private contractor to give intelligence – to the to another party on a sitting president is so outrageous. I mean, we're trying to yeah. stop China from doing this. We can't even stop our own parties from turning on each other, which hurt our relationship with our now our chief one of our chief enemies, top three, Russia. So it destroyed our relationship with Russia for the last four years for really no reason. It used to be because of Vladimir Putin's behavior, but now it was every time Donald Trump tried to have an overture, there's some some revelation that we found out was totally fictitious. So you're saying that from what we know right now, the FBI is just taking information that they got, they thought from an honest source, ran with it, but they didn't know that Clinton was behind it. Yeah, well, I don't think you – see, this is the problem with it. I think, first of all, it's not just the FBI now, right? So the new information is that they took this to a second government agency, which reading the uh, reading what Durham has filed, we can we can assume that that was the CIA. So the information we already knew about, which was which was the uh, premise for the indictment of Sussman, was that he had brought information to the FBI. Now they're talking about a second uh, government intelligence uh, agency at a time when. when Trump was already president, and that appears to be the CIA. What I think is going on here, Brian, is what should outrage people. Well, there's a lot of things that should outrage people, but I think this is like this cozy kind of – when we talk about the deep state, and I know that that's, that term can be demagogic and, and it gets thrown around too cavalierly, but when we talk about it, what we're talking about is this cozy kind of insider relationship that these people who kind of float in and out of government have. Um, and in this instance, you're talking about like this guy, Jaffe, who's the, the uh, contractor who we're talking about. Uh, he was a senior vice president for a company called New Star. And they're the ones who got this, uh, th- this contract from the government to help them on hacking. Now, he gets the contract because he's, he's an insider, right? And when he needs a lawyer, who does he hire? He hires Michael Sussman, who represents the Democratic Party. His firm represents the Clinton campaign. Um, and Sussman is a guy who worked in the Justice Department. So he's because he's a longtime Justice Department official, he's got entree in his private practice with high-ranking people in the government. So he goes, he doesn't bring his information to the FBI. He brings it to the general counsel of the FBI, who he has a long-time relationship Baker. with. Baker. When they worked in the government. Baker. And now we're hearing that he brought it to the CIA, which is, a, you know, because of where he worked in the government. When he was at the Justice Department, he was working on cybersecurity. So, of course, he's got contacts in the CIA. So what's happening here is Durham is not coming out and saying – 
the government is in on this as if they're a co-conspirator. But I think what's happening is these guys are politically connected, and they have longtime connections to people in the government. And when they come in with information, it's like pushing on an open door. And the FBI and the CIA don't ask the kind of questions they ought to ask. And it's probably because they were predisposed to think that Trump was a bad guy. And they think, oh, this Sussman's a great guy. He worked for the Justice Department. He wouldn't be bringing us this information if there wasn't something to be really alarmed about. Oh, and oh, the information comes from Rodney Jaffe. Well, he's a great guy, too. So, uh, you know, we ought to look into it and take it seriously. And in the meantime, what we know is that these guys are bringing the information because they're Hillary Clinton operatives. They wanted her to win the election, and they want to take Trump down politically. After he won, they still try to take him down. Yeah, well, that was, uh, you know, that was really, we've known for a while that they continued the FISA surveillance for close to a year into Trump's presidency. And I don't think the FISA surveillance ended until September. But, but, didn't, but didn't also the hacking continue? The, the, the information leaking when he was president from the White House and well, from so, Trump Tower? Yeah. Well, so far, so far what we know, Brian, is that it went at least into the beginning of Trump's presidency. Yeah. But what I'm saying is let's not forget everything else we already okay. know. With respect to the FISA, the first FISA they didn't get until October of 2016, which is close to the election, right? They continued that for almost a year. So the FISA surveillance went on until September of 2017, well into Trump's presidency. And the important thing about this, Brian, is every time they went back to the FISA court, their theory was that Trump, who was by then the sitting president, was a mole of Russia. I mean, that's basically what they said. They said that, you know, they told the, uh, told the FISA court that there was reason to believe that the Trump campaign was, was serving as a clandestine, uh, clandestine agent of Russia, and that was the reason that they needed to continue the surveillance. And that was signed off on by the FBI and the Justice Department three times when Trump was president. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I think the second time they signed off on it was right before, like a couple of days before Trump got inaugurated. But in, I believe it was April and in June, uh, the Justice Department and the FBI went back to the, uh, while Trump was already president, they went back to the FISA court. And that was their theory for why the surveillance had to continue. Andy McCarthy with us right now, uh, unwinding the latest Durham revelations. Now, I got to take a step back. And forgive me if this is fundamental. Uh, are they just exposing intelligence or are they making up the intelligence to get that storyline out? And the storyline was Alpha Bank, a Russian bank linked to Trump. That is, Alpha Bank is a cutout for Vladimir Putin's government. So they were trying yeah, to make up a story. Did they put a fake story in the mainstream, or are they exposing a story that they thought existed? As with all these uh, clever, devious people, Brian, the truth is, is somewhere in the middle. So they were not making up fake information, but what they were doing was mining little bits and pieces out of information where – if you got the entire context, you would say, oh, there's nothing to this. So spice but it. Edit just, it deceptively. Right. You know, they pick out a few things and they say, oh, you know, Trump uh, with a, a connection with Russia here and Trump with a connection with Russia there. And what they're not telling people is if you look at this whole bulk of information, there, there's nothing unusual about these contacts. And they may not even be suggestive of personal contacts between 
you know, the people who are involved. Uh, so what they've done, I think, is deceptively mine a, a, a big context of information. They've plucked out a few facts, so they're not making up the facts, but they're, they're, they're distorting them out of context in order to make them look nefarious when they knew full well that if you had the whole context, it, uh, it would look pretty benign. So they need to, who do they need to talk more, and where could the next indictment come from? As Dan Bongino was telling me today, he goes, they're looking to pressure Sussman to let him know you're twisting in the wind. Those people that told you to go over there and tell uh, the Intelligence Committee and, uh, and the FBI, Baker, that I got this information because I'm a good American— and not tell them that you're a part of the Clinton camp that has you indicted right now. Those people are going to let you twist. So why don't you tell me who really put you up to this? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I agree with Dan on this. And I think he's right that that is the way that you would normally go about an investigation. But the thing with this, Brian, is this has been going on for a number of years now. And it seems to me that, again, if you wanted to prove the big conspiracy case, what you would have to show is that the FBI, the CIA, and the government agencies were co-conspirators, that they were in on it. Right now, it looks like uh, uh, the, the prosecutor, Durham, has planted his feet on a theory that the government was duped, that it was fooled. And the only thing, you know, we, we talk about this guy, Jaffe, who was the one who did the, uh, you know, who mined all the information. Do you notice he's not charged with a crime here? The only one they've charged is Sussman. And that's because they think they have him on a false statement, which in the greater scheme of things is, is a pretty minor offense, given what we're talking about here. Right. Um, so I'm not sure they're going to there's going to be more in the way of indictments. Um, you know, we'll have to see. And the investigation's obviously not over yet. But I think that Durham is planning to write a report that blasts the government for um, – you know, being too willing to take this information, which was highly politicized from the Clinton campaign. And I think he's going to be very critical of him, but I don't see a lot of charges coming out of this. So it's okay to to hire Russian agents or uh, agents to make up a Russia story uh, where it looks like the Clinton campaign had this guy in Russia from when Clinton was in office and friends with Yeltsin that had these connections, they able to put together this dossier that they gave it to Steele. Steele makes it up, puts it into the mainstream, total fictitious story. They finance it, don't come clean on it. At the same time, they compromise this hacking firm, this uh, new star hacking firm, uh, cyber firm, tech firm, get them to give intelligence to them who they turned around and give it to the media. That's okay? Uh, no, I'm not saying any of this is okay. No, no, I'm not saying I'm you saying, personally, Andy. I'm talking about legally. No, I, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is um, here's two different scenarios, right? And I think this is, the, this is the nub of it. If the government, like I'm the FBI, and I say to the Clinton campaign, go out and get me some information about Trump in the, in the nature of like the Steele dossier, even if you have to make it up, and then I'll go use it in the FISA court – then you've got a huge government conspiracy, right? On the other hand, if it's the Clinton campaign that says, let's distort a bunch of information about Trump and then use our political insiders who have connections at the FBI and the CIA to talk them into investigating it, 
as a as a criminal and a national security matter, then you have a situation where the government officials are being duped. And I think what where Durham is coming from is that the government officials are being duped, which is a bad thing, but it's not the same thing as a criminal thing. It's not the same thing as if they're in on the conspiracy. What they are is negligent and you know they were like uh, they were already predisposed to think Trump was a bad guy so they didn't do the normal due diligence that they would get for you know before they would open an investigation in a politicized situation against somebody uh, who turns out to be the president but that's a different thing from saying that they're you know yeah. that they conceived the conspiracy or they're in on it Dorm's doing a very deliberate job. If he gets too close, they're going to start going after his credibility. Just be braced for it. But they're already on the record praising him on the left and the right. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. It's getting complex, but it's so important. I appreciate it, Andy. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Back with your calls in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Just really proud of this group. Sean and Les and Kevin and Tony and all the guys. So happy for them. And then you, we talk about these players, Matthew, Andrew, Vaughn. I mean, they're unbelievable. And they just hung in there. It was a tough game. And uh, just so proud of them executing at the end like they did. So uh, Stanley Kroenke took his team out of St. Louis uh, and went back to Los Angeles when he bought it and built a $5 billion stadium. He shares it with San Diego Chargers, who are now the Los Angeles Chargers. So I think if they split some of the cost of their pay, he's paying rent. I'm not really sure. But that was the mellowest reaction to a Super Bowl championship I've ever seen in my life. I also thought Al Michaels, as talented as he is, was just like phoning it in. He just didn't seem pumped up. Same with Chris Collinsworth. Game was good. I don't think either team is great. I think they're very two very good teams. But I think the playoffs were all very even pretty much except for the first round when the uh, Cardinals got just run over and the Titans got run over actually too. So I actually think it was a, very, a good year to get through. I love that everyone stood for the national anthem. I'm very happy for small things. I, I love the fact that everything the national anthem was sang and people seemed patriotic and they cut away uh, to the military stationed around the world. And we know there's tensions rising in Ukraine. And I think people kind of appreciate it. Taking a break. Hey, uh, make sure you watch One Nation. Thanks so much for watching it over the weekend. Keep in mind on Saturdays, 8 o'clock and 11. And don't forget, if you want to pick up any of my books, BrianKillMe.com, the one out president of Freedom Fighter, still selling well. Go get it. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York. Crime ravaged and uh, heard around the country, heard around the world. Know your little Logie may be off today because of Super Bowl. You took off. If you're in Cincinnati, you're a school kid. You have off today. But your heart's crushed because once again, for the third time in the Super Bowl, you've lost a very close game. 23-20 was the final. Uh, At least it wasn't the 49ers in Joe Montana this time, but it was just one drive that did it. And it's sad about that. We'll talk to uh, Brian Billick. He was uh, the coach of the uh, Baltimore Ravens when they won the Super Bowl, as well as an outstanding offensive coordinator with the Minnesota Vikings. And then Michael Goodwin is standing by as we watch uh, the tensions rise, if it's possible, uh, between Russia and the Ukraine. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Justin Trudeau, I mean, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. Then I started to read what he, he said. He said, they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate these? Now you do sound that's, like no, Hitler. That's, I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. Yeah, and that is Justin Trudeau talking about the truckers. The trucker freedom convoy is under siege at the bridges. They're arresting people and opening up the bridges at this hour. Uh, we will have the latest on the protests that may be weeks away from our, our own capital. And more proof COVID-19 restrictions evaporate as we watch the rich, famous, and politicians maskless at the Super Bowl. Number two. It's certainly not a sign that things are moving in the in the right direction. It's certainly not a sign that Mr. Putin has any intention to de-escalate escalate the tensions. And it's certainly not a sign that, uh, that he's uh, recommitting himself to a diplomatic path forward. So it doesn't give us any cause for optimism. And that was after the phone call between Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden today. The Ukrainian chancellor, the German chancellor, goes up to visit uh, Vladimir Putin. And we'll see what happens as uh, some NATO members go to visit Zelensky in the Ukraine. So far, things are calm. But for how long? Evidently, intelligence says the Russians invade in two days. Number one. He is basically laying out a case of where a number of laws were, were, have been broken by the Clinton campaign. Durham has evidence of, a, uh, of compromising of uh, computer systems in an attempt to try to basically frame the president of the United States as having uh, Russia ties. Uh, that's what they were doing. Massive. That's how I, la- I label the latest information coming out of the Durham report, which shows a hacking of the Trump campaign and presidency. No joke. No one outside Fox is covering this. And that is one of the biggest stories, I think. Let's bring that to Michael Goodwin's attention with the New York Post, Fox News contributor, as um, as we get a peek inside what the White House is uh, up against at this hour. As, oh, by, uh, by the way. Vice President Kamala Harris going over to Europe to meet with her allies, so everything should be fine. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. The Dorm Report has another revelation. It looks as though a tech firm hired by the White House uh, to do their tech stuff was using some of that to relay information to the Hillary Clinton's camp. Is that unbelievable? Once as president and also giving information that they think leads to uh, a Russian tie uh, in the Trump White House. I'm stunned by this, that nobody's covering it at all. Well, it is a fascinating development, and it it really goes to the heart of why you have to keep digging in these things. Because if you recall, this relates to the indictment of Michael Sussman, charged with lying to the FBI about whom he was representing when he presented the FBI with these allegations of a Trump connection to a Russian bank. And he, he mentions tech, a tech executive, and he doesn't mention Hillary Clinton, whom he's billing for these meetings. That, that's what uh, really gets to the heart of his indictment. But now we find out that the tech executive, uh, who's not named, just called Tech Executive One, uh, is is more than just an interested uh, player on the sideline. Uh, this... This person seems to be involved in actually, as you say, tapping into computers and perhaps even planting information in them that would incriminate Trump. So this opens a whole new door, I think, that we had never heard about and that really, frankly, nobody was even speculating about, to my knowledge. Uh, And it it just shows that – and we shouldn't forget – 
the Steele dossier, which was a first thing that was created essentially out of whole cloth to tarnish Donald Trump. So you had the Clinton campaign apparently working on multiple fronts, not just to dig up dirt, but to create the dirt. Uh, That's what's really amazing here. Yeah, let's listen to Congressman Mike Turner, uh, who might be in the majority soon and running the Intelligence Committee. Cut one. Well, this is absolutely uh, outrageous. And, and, and when you look at uh, Durham's pleadings in the Michael Sussman case, you know, he is basically laying out a case of where a number of laws were, were, have been broken by the Clinton campaign and where people are being protected by Sussman's lawyers. In fact, the pleading is about trying to convince Michael Sussman and the court that he's not being well served by his own lawyers because they're, in fact, protecting the Clinton campaign and others uh, in, in the allegations of, of, uh, of their bias. Uh, so the pleading set out, though, as you just indicated, that uh, Durham has in, in evidence uh, of a uh, of compromising of uh, computer systems in an attempt to try to basically frame the president of the United States as having uh, Russia ties. And they never had this Alpha Bank tied to Trump campaign. There was nothing to it. Uh, Trump and Vladimir Putin, there was nothing to it. Nothing able was proven it. The Mueller report showed that. But yet the person fueling the information was the Clinton campaign, never exposed. Michael Sussman, never honest, saying he represented the Clinton campaign. And then Mark Elias is at the base of this and the base of a lot of uh, dubious things that happened in 2020 uh, during that election. And to me, if you're doing an investigation, traditionally, Durham pushes on Sussman to give up the bigger guys because they're letting him twist in the wind, don't you think? Well, uh, it certainly does seem that way. But but I would I would just return to the notion, though, Brian, that I think nobody talked about this. I mean, in other words, um, I, I think Durham probably didn't know where to look, didn't know what he had until he stumbled on this latest uh, these latest findings. I mean, he, this we're now talking about events that happened five years ago. Um, it's very it's very long time uh, to have kept these things concealed. And and also, as, as I mentioned, the whole idea of the Steele dossier, I think in the beginning, people thought, well, okay, it's all this stuff out there. It's kind of rumor. It's speculation. It might be true. And then when we find out that the sources say, no, I never said that to Christopher Steele. Steele made that up. So the sources weren't really sources. They were, they were beer buddies or drinking partners who spun him. A, a, a bunch of tales of, of rumors and things that they had heard, and he put them into a report. And now he has something similar with his tech executive. These things, it's not as though they were even um, something that was out there. It was created by them. That's what makes this so alarming, that you could create this, this atmosphere, you could take it to the FBI, you could leak it to the media, and it would become true. It would become true through the repeated telling and spreading among uh, gullible FBI agents, some of whom were clearly corrupt, among, uh, of course, wishful thinking journalists who wanted it to be true. I mean, it is the greatest fiction story of all times, and yet it nearly uh, took over a presidential election. Next, uh, let's move over and talk about what you wrote about. President Biden and a lot of stuff has fallen apart, uh, including uh, 
this whole narrative about what happened in Afghanistan, as, this, as a Freedom of Information request was put out by the Washington Post, they publish it, and they give a synopsis of 2,000 pages in which they got, and it shows repeatedly the State Department and the White House ignoring warnings from the Pentagon that things could fall apart quickly and you should start moving. They move slow, and, uh, and we saw the results, the biggest catastrophe in American military history, I would argue. I think it's worse than Saigon. I don't think anything da- there's no, any doubt about it because we were there 20 years, and it's given birth that many claim, and I'm one of them, to what's probably happening in Ukraine and what's going to happen in Taiwan. And yet the State Department says, uh, Jake Sullivan, I don't agree with the conclusions. And President Biden says, I dispute him. Do you know he was never even briefed? on the conclusions of the U.S. Army report, he never took the briefing. He never got briefed or took the briefing from the people who wrote it up, yet he says he disputes it. Yeah, uh, one, of his inter- one of his answers to uh, uh, Lester Holt was, uh, that's not what I was told. Well, okay then, Mr. President, shouldn't you try to reconcile what you were told with what the Army is saying it told your your staff? I mean, he seems not curious at all about this. I reject them, he says. I'm rejecting these findings. Well, how can you reject them if you don't know anything about it? I mean, it really seems slipshod at best. And look, uh, Brian, uh, I'm sure you've heard this. A lot of Washington people, Democrats, included, uh, never thought much of Jake Sullivan, never thought much of Blinken. I mean, they think Blinken is a nice enough guy, but way over his head. They think Sullivan is just... He's uh, behind the whole Durham report. He's part of that. Yes, that's right. He was he was in the State Department at the time. Uh, so look, I, I think you have a you have an underwhelming president with an underwhelming staff making these monumental blunders uh, that, uh, as you say, are directly leading to to China's boldness, to Russia's boldness. They know that Joe Biden is weak. They know that this White House is not a first-rate White House, and so they are sensing this is their time, and we are seeing that play out in front of us day by day. We are. And the thing is, with President Biden, it doesn't look like he's getting a hold of this. Now his latest opportunity, one is Russia, Ukraine. The latest one is the end of the Omicron variant. We know there's only 18 percent of the hospital beds in New York City are full of Omicron patients, 78 percent capacity. That's on average. That's typical of a profitable hospital. That's what you want in the emergency room. Don't want to talk like that, but that's a fact. We watch all 50 states have decreased in numbers, yet he has not changed anything. Oh, the CDC says keep asking. I wouldn't do that yet. Yet we're looking at the Super Bowl. We're seeing these 10 Democratic governors start pulling back on all these restrictions, and the White House is doing nothing. I mean, this is another opportunity where there is nobody out front there. Yeah, look, this White House is is all bluster. Uh, when it comes down to real leadership, uh, it's just not there. And look, I, I think that uh, these Democratic governors, uh, let's let's give them a minimum amount of credit, but they're reading the polls. Just as Joe Biden read the polls on crime and came to New York to be seen with the New York Police Department and Mayor Eric Adams, this is a lot of this is about the midterm elections. But look, you know where children don't vote. 
children can't vote, so let's keep the mask on the children, right? I mean, I think this is what's going on when you see the mayor of Los Angeles and others at the Super Bowl, no mask, right? But you go into California schools today, you're going to see masks on children. Now, where is the sense in that? There's absolutely no science that says the children are nearly as at risk as those adults, and yet the children don't vote. The children don't complain. They don't go on television. They don't show up at protest meetings. And so they're the ones stuck still wearing the mask. Here's Joe Biden, cut 26. What is your message to people who want desperately for this to be over and to be able to resume the lives that they remember? Well, look, um, I love how people talk about personal freedom. If you're exercising personal freedom, freedom, put someone else in jeopardy, their health in jeopardy. I don't consider that being very dealing with freedom. It's about moving in a direction you know is likely to diminish the prospects that this virus continues to spread. Okay, this is how idiotic his statement is. We know with the Omicron variant, the that you can be vaccinated and spread it just as easy as unvaccinated. And if you suffer for because if you get it, it's not because of the unvaccinated, it's because it's in the air. You're easily to get it from a vaccinated person who's unvaccinated. So it's all personal choice. And he has not evolved or looked at any study that showed the mask make you 5% safer, but also retard your mental and emotional development. I mean, what is wrong? I mean, could he be this much of a simpleton? You know, Brian, it, it, it... Yes, I believe he could be. Uh, he seems to be not have a very nimble mind. He, he seems to be holding one thought at a time and cannot adjust. I mean, that's in some ways, you know, watch that, watching that interview, listening to his comments, it's, it's, he, he's programmed almost in a way, and he can't think. And so you, you wonder who's actually running things in the White House if this is the president's inabilities. And that's why I wrote the piece I wrote on Sunday that you referenced. It's, you know, uh, it's not exactly a fictionalized account because it's based on things the president has said and done in public. But you have to wonder what what's going on in the White House day by day as the bad news comes in, as the polls go down, as inflation goes up, as the crime surges, as Putin and Ukraine. What is going on in that White House? Who has time with the president? Who has the president's ear? And how does the president receive this information? And what does he say about it? And I think it's just a disaster that we can't see all of that inside, but we can see the results on the outside. And the results include the way the president behaves in public. It is shocking. It is shocking to see a president who is so rigid. It's, it's as though his, like his body is rigid, uh, so is his mind. I know, and he's he icing cannot, over. He cannot, adjust, he cannot adjust to new information. I know, and he's left alone everywhere where you could put aides around him, answer some questions. You could put experts around him. They just don't care. So the people around him don't care. His wife doesn't care, and we're stuck with him. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure, Brian. All right. Meanwhile, uh, bottom of the hour, Brian Billick tells us what happened yesterday, why the uh, Rams were able to win, and more. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Justin Trudeau, I mean, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. Then I started to read what he, he said. This is a couple of weeks ago. He was, or maybe this is September, but he was talking about people who are not vaccinated. He said they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. No, they're not. Mm, that was not that, smart of him at all. Right. He said, but they take up space. Mm. And wow. with that, we have to make a choice in terms of a leader as a country. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate these? Now you do sound like no, Hitler. That's, mm-hmm. that, that was... uh, and recently he talked about them holding, holding unacceptable views. I, I mean, come on. I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. It does. Mind you, everybody. You might not like the roads being blocked, and I get that, especially you got to get to work, got to get to school, you have kids. I understand that. But the reason they're out there is they just spent the last two years delivering your food, your clothing, your furniture without having a therapeutic, without having any vaccines. And they didn't complain. Now they're told, get a vaccine or you're fired. And they said, excuse me, not so fast, we're done. And then other people recognize that. At least give them credit. They're working class men and mostly and some women. They want some attention. And they're doing the fighting for you again in Canada, right next to America. And they're 80% vaxxed. We're about 73% vaxxed. Time to let everybody free now. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Second and goal. Pass. Top. Got it. Touchdown. Burrow trying to keep it going. Gets spun down. Gets it away. And incomplete. It looked like P. Ron might have had a shot to make the grab. But the Rams now running down to celebrate with a defensive play. Sean McVay gets the Gatorade bath after five seasons. We go back to the fact that Michelle was saying before the game, he's thinking about retiring. This could be the end. We don't know. But the Rams were built to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. They have, uh, and they have a lot of veterans pulled in a lot of stars that blew up the cap. They lost uh, They lost uh, Beckham but uh, to what looks like a serious knee injury, and enough to where he couldn't continue. But they do get the Super Bowl championship final score, 23-20. Brian Billick won uh, Super Bowl 35, and he joins us now easily. There was not much drama in that, sadly, as a Giant fan. Final score was 34-7 to last night, 23-20. Uh, Coach Billick, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. And I take exception. I think there was great drama in that. Not necessarily great for Giants fan, but we had a lot of drama on our side. Wait, weren't you losing? Or was it 10-7? No, 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 no. We, we were never losing at some point. No one would have stopped you that year. I mean, that was like when I looked at that defense and you guys were very efficient on offense, didn't make any mistakes, much like the Bears. It reminds me of that. That was a great team. Did you see great? I I don't want to diminish anything we saw. I saw two very good teams, but you're the expert. Did you see greatness? Well, I I think in a a year where I don't know that greatness existed. I mean, the great thing I loved about the playoff field, and boy, could the playoffs have gone any better for the league? I know, great. A a Super Bowl game. It was just so competitive, and that's just it. It was so competitive. You could make a case for virtually the entire playoff field, with the exception of maybe Philly and Pittsburgh, that these guys could go all the way. Hence, the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl. So I think there was certainly equity among all the teams. I don't think there was a dominant 
NFL team in the NFL this year. So you had a wide open playing field and made for a great playoff. Right. Uh, in the end, did the better team win? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end, yeah, you have to say they did uh, because they won. You know, every team that goes to the Super Bowl thinks it's a team of destiny up until the point they lose. And and then that's why it's so devastating because you truly believed that this was what was going to happen. But I think, yes, I think uh, taking nothing away from Cincinnati because I thought they had an outstanding chance. And all you can ask for is put the ball in the hands of our quarterback at the end of the day and, and, and give us a chance. But that 15-play drive, solidified everything Matthew Stafford the defense and it was the entire team it was Matthew Stafford Cooper Cup which was kind of a one one horse pony show because um, uh, t- you knew it was going to go to Cooper Cup and then the defense sealing it the way they did with what has been the Achilles heel of Cincinnati the offensive line play and the protection so yeah I think you have to say the best team won We're talking to Brian Billick uh, NFL network analyst as well as Super Bowl winning champion and also uh, did a great job as offensive coordinator with the uh, Vikings, who for some reason didn't get to the Super Bowl that year. That was the year the Falcons ended up losing to the Packers, right? Uh, yeah, I think they lost to Denver that first year. Oh, it's Denver, uh, we, you're we, right. We lost to Atlanta in a championship game, and they went in, and that was the John Elway uh, uh, Super Bowl. Right, and they were so convinced the Vikings were going to win. There was, a lot of, there was a couple of headlines that I held up on camera that said Vikings yeah. get back to the Super Bowl, but I don't want to make you relive that, but too late. Uh, after the game, Joe Burrow talked. Before I get your analysis of how he played, here's what he said about how he played. Cut 13. You know, I was disappointed in my performance overall. I thought I could have played better, give us a better chance to win, but, you know, you live and you learn. You know, it's going to propel us into next year. We're going to have a really good offseason. I know, our, you know we have a lot of hard workers in that locker room that are going to attack this offseason like they did last year. You know, obviously we're not – we're not satisfied with what we did this year. We're going to keep getting better and attack next year with the same intensity. Just to, just to somebody who's covered a lot of football, I thought he could have got rid of the ball a lot sooner. And the more I watched him, the more I realized some of the sacks are his fault. I mean, you just can't blame the line. There, Do you see that, and especially in that last play? Uh, yeah, sure, to a degree. Uh, but when you have Aaron Donald breathing down you up the middle and then, yep. that, you know, Vaughn Miller coming from the outside, I think Joe Burrow, notwithstanding this game, and certainly, yes, everybody, I mean, Matthew Stafford could have played better uh, in certain degrees. Missed Stafford a lot of passes. Position. Yeah, but Joe Burrow, uh, the last five or six games, last two games of the regular season and through the playoffs, uh, you're going to have to go some to find a quarterback that's been more spectacular. His, his demeanor, the way he's handled it, as young as he is, and to have the output that he did against teams like Baltimore and Kansas City, and then the playoff run he did, Tennessee, the Kansas City game. Uh, I mean, it just spectacular. Uh, and But for the want of one more drive, may have very well sealed it with a, with a Super Bowl win. So, yeah, certainly uh, he's going to look back and, and, and decide there's a couple things he could have done better. Uh, the pressure, clearly that has to be job one for Cincinnati in the offseason. They've got to get better in the offensive line. Absolutely. A couple of things. In the, you know, Cincinnati famously, they don't have an indoor facility. They don't have much accommodations. They don't really have a scouting service. They have six scouts on their entire front office. They thought that it had everything to do with them not getting any type of success for 30 years, virtually any type of success, despite having, you know, some really good quarterbacks anyway, from Carson Palmer to Boomer Esiason. Uh, what is the truth on that? Like when you were looking at coaching jobs, when you coaches talk to each other, is are all those do all those things matter when you make that choice? Well, certainly do because it has to show commitment to the consistency of the organization. But at the end of the day, talent trumps all. 
And and do you need a staff of thirty scouts? Do you need a staff? I don't know. You tell me. Coaches? What do you think? No, no, I'm old school a little bit. No, I, I don't think so. Now, certainly some of the facilities, uh, although they were able, the year we won the Super Bowl, um, we didn't have an indoor facility. It was a very mediocre facility up in Owings Mills. We had to, to we had to go to a local high school that did have an indoor facility uh, to get on some turf uh, out of the weather. And yet here we won the Super Bowl. So do you have to have it? No. Uh, is it better to have it? And does it show more of a commitment from the organization uh, to want to build a winner and provide you with the things? Sure. But, but at the end of the day, it comes down to acquiring the right talent and platforming it. And they've done that as reduced as their staff may be. And with Zach Taylor, he's done a great job. And most importantly, they got the quarterback position solved. Hey, Brian, with the other big subplot, there's two subplots, one of which the accusation since rescinded by the former Cleveland Browns coach, Hugh Jackson, and uh, Brian Flores, the former Dolphins coach. Number one of tanking. Uh, we see the Dolphins said, yeah, I was, I was offered $100,000 to tank a game. He said, I wouldn't do it. And then in with Cleveland, Hugh Jackson rescinded it but said, yeah, you know what? I was offered it. We need to lose now. Don't worry about it. I'll give you a bonus if you did it. Number one, if these do you think these allegations have to be investigated? You certainly have to investigate the Eagles throwing the game in the street against the Redskins in the final week last season, and it caused maybe Doug Peterson to get fired there. Now that betting is so prevalent, does tanking matter more than ever? And what do you do if you're the league? How do you stop a team from losing so they get a draft pick? Well, they'll have to exhaust all the resources to just, if nothing else, make sure fans know that that doesn't exist. Now, I was in the NFL for better than 30 years, and all I can tell you is my personal personal experience. Never, never, ever, not once did anybody ever, coach, general manager, owner, anybody insinuate that we insinuate that it would be better to lose a game. Now, that doesn't mean they weren't thinking it, okay, that human nature says, geez, Boy, if it turned out that way that we don't win this game and we get the better choice and you have someone in mind, that's human nature. But never, never in a meeting, never directly or indirectly have I ever, ever been a part of or heard of anybody specifically saying, yes, let's lay down so that we can get a better draft choice. That's just my personal experience. I would love to see a committee of former players and coaches agreed on about the league that would investigate any tanking claim. And if there was, they lose a number one pick because we need people playing through, running through the tape at the end. Absolutely. Because I'll tell you what, when I was younger, I remember the Giants were always out of it. I was rooting on every down uh, for them to win a game, even though they never made the playoffs my entire youth. I'm talking about 15 years. uh, Never made it. But at the end, just to think that these people are watching people lose because financially it's better to get your next Joe Burrow. I think in the long term, uh, that's a losing mentality. Yeah, and, and, and but the hard part was how do you quantify it? I mean, when we get to the end of the season and a team has solidified its playoff position, we see this every year, right? There's a couple teams that may have, and so they decide not to start their quarterback or to not start four or five or six players. Is that tanking? What, what, what is that? So I think before we go down this rabbit hole, rabbit hole, we have to be very careful about what exactly is it we're saying and we're looking for. Because you're right, the integrity of the league and the fact the competitive aspect of it, the league is just so judicious about and jumping on it so uh, uh, emphatically about making sure that there's always that competitive uh, balance and the fact that everybody's striving. But the example I just gave you, what, what is that then? Is that should not be something that's allowed? 
because the team's going, well, it's not that we're tanking. We don't want to win the game. We're just not going to expose these players to injury because it's not going to change our playoff position. There's a lot of, there's a lot of gray areas to, to this. I hear you. And lastly, about the, the Africa, uh, minority coaches in the NFL, yeah. I can't believe we're still talking about this. Uh, do you, I mean, what can the league actually do? I don't believe there's a racist owner in the league. I may be naive. I don't think there is. Keyshawn Johnson had something interesting to say. He said, ask how many of these black owners, uh, how many of these owners, mostly, I mean, they're all white, I think, uh, have any black friends. It's just that they're not in these circles and they're not hiring people that they are not familiar with. It's not necessarily racist. I have no idea what the answer is. You've been in this process. What do you think? Well, I think you're right. I don't think anybody has the answer for it because the league puts a great deal of time and energy of trying to to create a platform for minority coaches to show that they ought to be thought of as head coaches. You're, You're asking the wrong guy. You need to be asking, in my opinion, we have some minority coaches over the last few years that have had non-minority coordinators. And if you ask them, well, what, you know, uh, 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 Mike Tomlin, why do you have uh, uh, non-minority coordinators? He's going to tell you, well, I hired the best guys available. Well, then that's the question that has to be answered by people, by minority coaches that have had non-minority coordinators going, why is the best coach available in your mind not a minority? What do we need to do more to platform the abilities? Because other than that, uh, that typical pipeline to become a head coach typically goes through the coordinator position, not always, but typically goes through the coordinator position. So it begins with, well, how do we have and general managers the same way? That pipeline and putting more minorities in the general manager uh, position certainly is going to be a factor. Um, why that's not happening, a lot of time and resources are being put into it. That's You're right. Unless you just have to absolutely put in a quota system and that's just not going to work. Um, I, I don't know the answer to it, and those that are very critical of it, and rightfully so, I don't know that they have an answer either. Right. Uh, Brian Flores probably would have got the Houston job had he not filed the lawsuit. I don't know him, uh, but he filed the lawsuit, basically took him out of contention for it, and they hired Lovey Smith. Yeah, uh, suing the league is probably not a, 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 an advisable path to becoming a head coach. I don't know that in advising, and I've done a lot of advising of coaches. I've got nine of my guys, my coaches, that have gone to become head coaches. Uh, uh, and more than be Marvin Lewis and David Shaw, uh, Mike Singletary, all minorities. And I don't know in sitting with them and helping counseling them as to how to get a head coach that I would have said, yeah, and the number one thing you need to do is sue the league. <laughs> I know. But Flores is coming off two back-to-back winning seasons and like on a roll. But evidently, he blew up. He wasn't even speaking to his coaches at the end. So there, there was a not problem. A, not a good scenario. Yeah, right. obviously, there's there's a there's more to the story, as they say. Yeah, and if you by the way, just don't text somebody before he's named coach uh, if Bill Belichick is <laughs> listening. Uh, X-Tech shoulder pads. You, you're always talking about safety in, the, in a hard-hitting league, obviously. What does X-Tech bring to the table? Well, it's a great story. For nine years, uh, Bob, Roderick, Teddy, Monica brought forth the best pad. I mean, protecting our players is the number one priority. And this is the best shoulder pad in the business. So that's why it's the number one pad in pro football, in college, major college football, and now becoming the number one pad in major high school football as well. It's great to see the parents getting vested in making sure that these young people are you know, totally in the best protection possible. And it's a great story. 100% American made, uh, started from nothing. 
uh, the, the, the job that they've done over the last nine years, it's a great story beyond being a great pad. People ought to check it out at xtechpads.com. Awesome. And lastly, where do you think uh, where do you think Aaron Rodgers ends up? Do you have a sense? Uh, hard to say. You know, it sounds like they're kind of kissing and making up in Green Bay. I, I don't know that he would covet going someplace else. It's a matter of, you know, because Green Bay has been pretty good. Where are they in terms of their cap? Can they continue to fund you know, building towards obviously trying to get to that Super Bowl. There's a part of them that may covet. You know what? I want to kind of be a Tom Brady. I'm going to go someplace else and make it all about me, and we win a Super Bowl. So it's hard to say. We'll have, and I'm sure there'll be the drama on and off during the entire off season. We'll have to. We'll have to see how it unfolds. But I think at the end of the day, there's got to be a part of them that wants to finish it off there in Green Bay. And this is the other question I ask players sometimes when they become really good analysts. I said. When you become an analyst, are you just relaying information new as a player? A lot of them got to know the game better when they became broadcasters and were asked to be analysts. By any chance, this might be a stretch for you. But, but as you analyze all these games and asked to broadcast, have you learned more about the game? Oh, absolutely. I, I've said if, if I had gone back into the game, I would have been a better coach for the experiences I had for six years with Fox. Think about that. Every Friday, I'm sitting in a different facility watching practice in some instances, sitting with meetings, sitting in meetings uh, with the players uh, as they get ready for a game, the coaches, the general manager, the personnel people. And then also my duties for the NFL network, kind of getting ready for the draft, watching all the college games, watching all the college players. No question. It gave me a broader view of the game, that 30,000 foot view that would have lent itself to, uh, to had I decided to go back into coaching. So it's fascinating to me and to be able to relay it to pedestrians like me and, and most fans that sit on the outside. Uh, Brian Billick, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. Sounds great. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. You did not use that word elitist in your whole speech, but, like, that's the word that I I think is on people's tongues and minds, and, I mean, that certainly is what populists, including bad ones like Trump, play on. But there is this idea, and it's not wrong, that some people are staying home in their Lululemons and other people... (laughs) And, and, you know, can afford to, like, wait out and get a, a free vacation and money from the government. And other people can't. And they're pissed off, the people who can't. And that's Bill Maher, again, saying exactly what we're saying on our channel, but nobody's saying it on other channels. Bill Maher is a liberal Democrat. I don't have to explain it to you. Probably despises I don't think he despises Fox. I think he doesn't agree with a lot that goes on at Fox. I, I know he's... Uh, You know, he says a lot of derogatory things, but at least he's consistent. He does not understand why people are against truck drivers. The people on the other channels are saying, well, if uh, Fox or people are against Occupy Wall Street, why are they for this? Because the main objective isn't to block traffic. It's to get the attention of Prime Minister Trudeau, who has locked down and affected their lives and about to get them fired from the only livelihood they have while they stood up for two and a half years and delivered food and goods to an entire nation. Entire nation without any therapeutics, without any vaccine. And now you want to throw a vaccine at them they're not comfortable with. And if you don't take it, they're fired. Bill Maher is saying something logical for disagreeing is illogical. 
You are against average, everyday, working-class people if you're against what's happening in Canada. And I got news for you. If I can whisper like Joe Biden, it's coming to Washington. It's coming to Washington. Get it, folks. No malarkey. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a fantastic Super Bowl-inspired uh, weekend, and maybe you're off today and listening to the show for the first time in a long time, or you're back at work, and that's great news, too. This hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Tom Cotton. He's standing by, and Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. But first, uh, we know, too, the German chancellor is meeting with Vladimir Putin today. Yesterday, the president had a meeting with, uh, had a virtual meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin. Did not go well by all accounts, by all sides. So a lot going on. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Justin Trudeau, I mean, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. Then I started to read what he, he said. He said, they don't believe in science. They're often misogynistic, often racist. Do we tolerate these people? It's like, tolerate these? Now you do sound that's, like Hitler. No, I mean, that's, I think, what gets under people's skin. Right, Bill Maher. Again, the trucker freedom convoy under siege. The bridges are beginning to open. Ottawa's mayor is speaking to them about de-escalating. But these working class men and women deserve some respect. They're not getting it anywhere except here. Number two. It's certainly not a sign that things are moving in the in the right direction. It's certainly not a sign that Mr. Putin has any intention to de-escalate the tensions. And it's certainly not a sign that uh, that he's uh, recommitting himself to a diplomatic path forward. So it doesn't give us any cause for optimism. Kind of weird. Uh, John Kirby saying no good news. Is Russia getting ready for a war or is it all a ruse? We're going to talk to Senator Tom Cotton on that. Number one. He is basically laying out a case of where a number of laws were, were, have been broken by the Clinton campaign. Durham has evidence of, a, uh, of compromising of uh, computer systems in an attempt to try to basically frame the president of the United States as having uh, Russia ties. And that is a, a little of uh, Mike Turner talking about what we now know about the Durham report, which is moving forward. Uh, the latest information is no joke. Uh, outside of Fox, no one's covering it, but everyone should be. And we'll give you the details on that later. Let's bring in Senator Tom Cotton. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's good to be back on with you. Are you uh, going to be part of this briefing that you're getting from Jake Sullivan? No, Brian. That's for the uh, leaders of the two parties, uh, as well as the committee chairman uh, and the senior Republicans on those committees. Uh, I tell you, I don't expect them to hear anything that I have not heard in recent weeks uh, as I've probed all of our intelligence um, on both the Intelligence Committee and the Armed Services Committee. Which is? Um, well, I, it's, to me, there's not a lot of secret information here, Brian, that you can't see yourself or your listeners can't see really? with okay. their own two eyes, with their own two eyes, and just understanding the inherent logic of events. I mean, you you don't move 130,000 troops to encircle a country, Brian, because you're conducting military exercises. Some of those troops coming from as far east as Siberia. Or consider this. Uh, I mean, I've planned a few military exercises in my day, Brian. 
I never, as part of the planning those exercises, started stockpiling excess blood. Um, so if you just look at the actions Putin has taken and you look at his stated grievances about Ukraine uh, and about its drift out of Russia's orbit over the last 20 years and uh, his far-fetched demands last month that he knew the United States and our NATO partners could never meet, all indicators to me point to a likely invasion, at least an invasion being more likely than not. Yeah, they have three warships exercising in the Black Sea. We know what they're doing with Belarus right on that border. But listen to uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Cut 14. The truth that we have different information. And now the best friend for enemies, that is panic in our country. So he says stop causing panic. But do you, in, do, do you think that he knows what you know and is just choosing to go out of his way not to destroy his economy before the invasion? And when panic happens, that's what happens? Right. My understanding is that our government has shared all of this intelligence uh, with the Ukrainian government. Obviously, they're in a different position since they're in the crosshairs. And as you say, they face uh, serious economic um, and social challenges, to say nothing of the potential loss of life. Um, as I said last week, even before President Biden um, and Jake Sullivan called for it, if you're an American in Ukraine, I would recommend you get out immediately. Um, and if you can't get out for some reason, uh, I would recommend that you start developing plans um, should Russia invade to find a way out overland uh, into one of our NATO partners on Ukraine's border, Romania, Slovakia, Hungary, or Poland. Um, I hope that that is planning that we can all look back on and say uh, was not necessary, but it's always better to have a plan if a crisis emerges than to be left holding the bag in the middle of a crisis. Uh, so, look at, by the way, I always take a step back and say, what caused this? Because you don't like their policies, so you can just invade another country. If they're able to pull this off despite maybe three months of intense uh, lobbying and, and diplomacy from every Western nation, this is going to be a green light for anything they want. You know, and well, certainly well. everyone agrees, State Department agrees, that, that China is looking at this on how, what the response is going to be for an invasion of Taiwan. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Brian, that's correct. And and it is uh, a year of appeasement and one-sided concessions from Joe Biden to Vladimir Putin that I think emboldened Vladimir Putin. You know, in his first week in office, he gave Vladimir Putin his number one foreign policy priority, which was a no-strings-attached extension to a very one-sided nuclear arms control treaty. Uh, and then just a couple months later, he gave Vladimir Putin his second foreign policy priority, which was to waive sanctions on the gas pipeline that's going to connect Russia and Germany directly through the Baltic Sea, as opposed to all the pipelines that run through Ukraine and therefore give Ukraine a lot more leverage um, in its relationship with Russia. When you add on top of that um, the debacle in Afghanistan, I think Vladimir Putin sees a, a moment in time when he can achieve a longstanding ambition of his, which is reassembling the greater Russian empire. And you're right that Xi Jinping is um, is monitoring this closely. Should Russia go for the jugular, Brian? There's several steps that we should take in response. I would suggest the very first step is that we should load up every plane that flies with every weapon that shoots and send it straight to Taiwan. That would be interesting. Uh, that would certainly be a great message. I would also like to get more uh, lethal equipment uh, into the hands of the Ukrainians. I'm tired of seeing these guys running around with wood guns. At the very least, I think America is pretty good at making and giving away guns. So can we get them guns? Yeah. 
Can we get him missiles uh, that'll actually blow up a tank that aren't on your shoulder? Yeah, um, that has uh, been disheartening, to say the least, Brian, to see so many of the reservists. In some cases, it, it seems like it may be active forces who are training uh, with wooden guns. Uh, obviously, if the Russians come across the border, they need things that shoot and things that blow up. Um, and we are doing that now. But again, this is my point uh, about Taiwan, is what we are doing now in an emergency, um, almost slapdash fashion, and have been doing for the last 30 or 60 days, we should have been doing in Ukraine for the last six months. You know, Vladimir right. Putin did something similar, though not to this scale, last spring. Um, we should have been doing in a deliberate and methodical fashion. So every person you see on the footage today would at least have uh, a rifle that shoots uh, and that uh, the Ukrainian army would have sufficient numbers of anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft weapons as well to defend their territory for themselves. We need to make sure that Taiwan has all those things well in advance. Yeah, uh, let's be honest. Uh, we saw that President Obama came in and said, let's reset the relationship, and we're going to get, without any, even without you even asking, we're going to get rid of the missile shield in Europe. Uh, and that, to the surprise of our uh, allies— uh, they did, had no idea we were taking it out, and they looked at it as weakness, and they took Georgia and later portions of the Ukraine. But I want you to hear something else. What's coming out, thanks to a FOIA request by the Washington Post, is a 2,000-page report that talked about what went wrong leading up to the hor- horrendous, uh, horrible evacuation of Afghanistan. Now, do you, I know for a fact, I talked to somebody over the weekend that put together that report. They tried to brief the president on it. He did not want to take the briefing. They did not get a briefing from his own people. So when he came out and said, I disavow what the Army report said, what an insult to the Pentagon. And then Jake Sullivan doubled down on it uh, on Face of the Nation, Cut 38. Well, first of all, uh, to the point about the report you just mentioned, the president uh, and I sitting here today do reject the reports in the Washington Post that the White House or the NSC uh, sought to slow down the evacuation. This was the a FOIA opposite is version true. of from an the army president, from, from the president on down, uh, it was the White House and the NSC pushing military leaders and diplomats day by day through those early days of August to say, should we begin the evacuation now? And as soon as, the minute our military leaders and diplomats recommended to the president that he do so. Literally that minute, he ordered the evacuation. You've done investigations on that. Jake Sullivan is lying, isn't he? Yeah, he, uh, it was at least being very Weasley there, Brian. You know, he talked about the early days of August. Remember, by the early days of August, the Taliban was already beginning to seize provincial capitals throughout Afghanistan. I think it was August 14th when they were on the edge of Kabul, August 15th when it fell. The kind of planning that the Army is talking about should have occurred, needed to occur months prior. I, I can tell you as soon as the president made his decision to withdraw our forces from Afghanistan in April, both our military and the CIA began a careful and deliberate drawdown of their forces, consolidating their forces at just a couple places in the country that were more easily defensible, and then moving them uh, down in accordance with a deliberate timeline. The State Department um, to put it in simple terms, you know, didn't seem to study for the test, didn't do the homework, and then they got there on the day of the finals and flunked it. Um, and the State Department is the lead agency uh, in the government anytime you have a evacuation of noncombatants. And that meant that their uh, slow reaction also slowed down what our military was able to do as well. Um, look, this report that came out 
um, has a lot of firsthand interviews with folks from admirals and generals in charge all the way down to the front lines. These are career military personnel. They have no reason to misrepresent what they saw at the time. If anything, you might expect some of the senior leaders to sugarcoat matters um, because um, they know uh, who's in charge uh, in the administration right now. But they didn't sugarcoat it. They gave the unvarnished truth. Uh, Joe Biden and Jake Sullivan don't want to acknowledge that truth because it's so damning to them. But they can't get away with this. And the Pentagon, you know this firsthand. They have an ego. They know what they did and didn't do. They, we watched the generals say that they warned the administration that if they pull out to this level, they can't hold Bagram, that they wouldn't be able to stay in the country. Then they, they said, the, the Pentagon said, because of that, my hands were tied. We had to pull out when we did. We also know that, that General McKenzie was asked, do you want to buy Alberarder? This guy who's now part of the Taliban administration. Do you want Kabul or do you want us to take it? And he said, we only will take the airport. We only need the airport. Another fatal decision that embarrassed this country. And are they going to be getting away with this? Is the Pentagon at any point going to do what they did to Trump all the time and try to undermine them and get what they think are the facts out? Um, I suspect over time, Brian, all of these facts will begin to surface as this report last week did. Um, I, I can tell you, I mean, I, I just know for a fact that all of these issues were raised at one time or another with the president. So the, the claims that he continues to make, that no one raised these concerns with him, that they didn't propose these things as dangerous risks that he was taking, is it, simply false. Um, but it's consistent with what Joe Biden and Ron Klain and Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan have tried to do from the beginning in August, is simply turn the page, say that chapter is behind us, it was an extraordinary success uh, and move on to the next thing because they recognize how deeply the debacle in Afghanistan eroded the American people's confidence in Joe Biden's leadership and his basic competence. And embolden our, our, our enemies. Um, now, by the way, I always wonder why he's so alone. There's no aides ever near him. He doesn't even have his wife near him. Somebody to bail him out on some of these interviews, experts sitting next to him to talk about the virus. Uh, the defense, he easily could pass this off. You know that. You can't be an expert in everything if you're a president. But he's always alone or he refuses to answer questions. It's bizarre. As if they want him to fail or he doesn't matter. Lastly, uh, when it comes to getting oil and gas and helping our economy and people's and the money down, we are not pumping oil and gas. And we're not getting it to our allies who are dependent on it with Russia. Chris Christie brought that up. And said what the facts are on the ground, which I know you know them. Cut 44. If President Biden would put aside his environmental agenda for a moment, if he wants to deal with inflation, I spoke to the governor of North Dakota two weeks ago. He is being forced by the Biden administration to keep 500,000 barrels of oil a day in the ground in North Dakota. If those 500,000 barrels of oil a day were allowed to be produced, two things would happen. It would help the price on gas. And two, we wouldn't have Joe Biden begging OPEC to increase. Look, if you're worried about global warming, you say, I want to keep the oil in the ground. Whether the oil comes out of the ground in Saudi Arabia or North Dakota, it has the same effect on global warming. But Joe Biden doesn't want to do that inside America. He's being a hypocrite about it. <laughs> let North Dakota, let Pennsylvania, let Texas reach their quotas and have a greater supply. And I don't know, Donna, I took basic economics in college, greater supply deals with this demand we have and will lower prices. He's right about this. And you can't say we're a helpless supply chain. We have we have the ability to do more. 
Yeah. Yeah, Brian, we are the world's number one producer of oil and gas uh, that's emerged over the last 15 years. We should be grateful for that because it gives us more independence in our energy choices. It gives us a more robust mix of energy choices between oil and gas and, and nuclear or renewable sources. Um, and it gives us greater freedom of action in the world, to say nothing of the fact that it provides good, high-paying jobs for millions of Americans. And a lot of that oil and gas, Brian, is either on federal lands or on the outer continental shelf. So it's the second highest source of revenue for the federal government to help try to pay down some of these extremely high deficits. Yet Joe Biden is beholden to his radical left. And as uh, you said, he is willing to stop American oil and gas production. And all that means for the hardworking Americans who are working in those industries, putting food on the table, what it means for federal revenues, what it means for emboldening countries like Russia or uh, the OPEC cartel. Right. Um, who he'll then turn around and beg to bail him out to pump more oil and gas especially if the markets are disruptive, as they probably will be when Russia invades Ukraine. Senator Tom Cotton, I hope you're wrong about that last statement, but it sounds like you're right. Uh, Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Let's go to the phones. Julie's been very patient in St. Louis, listening on the great station, 97.1. Hey, Julie. Hey. You know, we've put up with two years of masks for the pandemic, and, of course, a lot of that has been necessary. And then before that, the Democrats tied up the presidency for four years with the Russian collusion hoax. So right now, we've got this nugget that's come out. We don't know where it's going to lead, but I think you have to resist. You and the media have to resist the temptation to just say, oh, nobody's going to report on it. We'll just move on. Just like with the parents and the school boards, that that caught fire and it became a huge issue across the country, I think, because conservative radio and media pressed it and pressed it and pressed it, and it finally caught on. I agree. And I, not, I'm not dropping and it. I don't worry about it. Great. Thank you so much. That's all I have. Not in the middle million years, Julie. Are you kidding? It's uh, it's affecting everybody's lives on a daily basis. I'm on planes, airports, people saying the same thing. It's a joke. Everyone's sitting there going, really? Are you really enforcing this? And, of course, in airports uh, and when you get off the uh, transit, when you go to certain uh, certain states, other states don't really matter. Then you have people getting hostile if you don't have it on. That's all caused by the administration. They don't want to let go, and the president hasn't learned anything new. Uh, and he's not even advancing. He's not even listening to his own scientists. He has no interest in reading and researching. It's nuts. Brett Baer is next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's important to note this about the BBB. The BBB is a deficit reduction bill. It's a bill that some people say when you increase the national debt, you increase inflation. 17 Nobel laureates uh, wrote that the the way the BBB was written with long-term investments and increasing the capacity of people to participate in our our success is non-inflationary. In addition to that, the Joint Tax Committee says that BBB will reduce the national debt by $100 billion in the first 10 years. Nobel laureates, fantastic. Hey, uh, excuse me, can uh, 
Can I put? Can I talk to the president? Uh, I, that BBB where you spend two trillion dollars, which is really four point five trillion. Great way to reduce our debt. Really, you don't have enough money to pay for it. Yeah, it's a great way to reduce the debt. Or right, could you just leave a message for him? Nobel laureate. Great way. And sixteen calls later, all of a sudden you have a great call uh, a call uh, log login, so you can go make that statement that seventeen Nobel laureates really approve of spending more money than we have. With me right now, a guy that always stays within his means, doesn't need the overdraft his bank gives him, Brett Baer, chief political anchor for Fox News, anchor special report. Uh, hey, Brett. Hey, Brian. I did not expect BBB to be pushed uh, during when inflation goes up to 7.5%. That's an interesting tact. Kind of bold. That's a little bold, especially when you have a Democrat who you need his vote saying the 17 Nobel laureates were wrong. Um, Joe Manchin saying that you cannot go down this road with inflation only skyrocketing. And it's like that's not being heard. And they're just plowing ahead with this pitch, which really has not been successful. And um, I don't think average Americans are buying it. So why keep on going down this road? Um, to hit another cul-de-sac. I, I don't fully understand it politically. So I won't play the cut because you just said it. Joe Manchin says this will throw more fuel in the fire. The BBB is dead. He said it to various people. He broke the news with you on Fox News Sunday originally uh, that caused such an uproar, and I'm sure you were upset by that. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. uh, you really broke it up. Uh, here's it, Nancy Pelosi then was asked by George Stephanopoulos, why do you keep saying this? Because Joe Manchin's not on board with this. Cut 43. Joe Manchin, as you said, is the senator who counts. Every senator counts. And and we have uh, uh, legislation that is so transformative for our country. When you see what President Biden has done in, in this year, whether it's the rescue package that has put money in people's pockets, taken people off of poverty, vaccines in their arms and the rest, you know that. Yes, then people are feeling it right now. No, I understand that. No, I understand that. But there has to be a cumulative effect, a cumulative effect. And part of the... Uh, the consequences of all of that investment in the infrastructure bill and the rest is that more people have jobs and and therefore inflation goes up. Uh, She had no answer and she kept saying it. At least he asked it to begin with. I was shocked that there is no plan to attack inflation. I guess they're counting on the Fed, which might be over my head. I just don't know what they can do. But that 7.5 percent is overwhelming jobs numbers, unemployment numbers. And that was good news they had last week, Brett, two weeks ago. It was. And the underlying girders of the economy, you know, they can argue are are strong, stronger. Um, but the inflation is erasing what people feel. You know, the increased wages, fantastic. But you're losing the increase by what you have to pay at the pump and at the grocery store. And, you know, the Fed is signaling that it's going to raise rates. So it goes up a half point, maybe even a three quarters of a point. And when that happens, if we go up one point on interest rates, do you know that we pay more on interest on the national debt than we pay every year for the defense budget if it goes up one point, um, $800 billion roughly? So. You know, all this talk about Build Back Better and how it's going to make the deficit go down and inflation go down, it just does not add up. And you don't have to be a 
economists to do the math. I thought Chris Christie is one of the best panelists you can have and said this about what could be done. He's like, what could be done? He goes, number one, don't tell me oil and gas prices are high if you're not drilling. He brought this to the table. Cut 44. If President Biden would put aside his environmental agenda for a moment, if he wants to deal with inflation, I spoke to the governor of North Dakota two weeks ago. He is being forced by the Biden administration to keep 500,000 barrels of oil a day in the ground in North Dakota. If those 500,000 barrels of oil a day were allowed to be produced, two things would happen. It would help the price on gas. And two, we wouldn't have Joe Biden begging OPEC to increase. Look, if you're worried about global warming, you say, I want to keep the oil in the ground. Whether the oil comes out of the ground in Saudi Arabia or North Dakota, it has the same effect on global warming. But Joe Biden doesn't want to do that inside America. He'd be a hypocrite about it. Let North Dakota, let Pennsylvania, let Texas reach their quotas and have a greater supply. And I don't know, Anna, I took basic economics in college. Greater supply deals with this demand we have and will lower prices. So also, Senator Bill Cassie said, let us work on the uh, continental shelf. We can start drilling there and help immediately, especially if Europe uh, needs energy, which obviously they do. Brett's interesting tact. You know, it's usually not too random when Republicans come out and start talking about things we're not doing now. No, and this is all part of laying the groundwork for 2022 and then 2024. Um, and that is, what are you for? You know, that whole thing about Joe Biden coming out in the press conference saying, what are Republicans for? Well, they're saying what they're for. They're for lower taxes. They're for more increased energy. They're for uh, doing everything they possibly can to throw at the wall when it comes to energy. And, you know, you can say that you're for dealing with the the climate, you're for climate change improvements, but not to the detriment of the economy and let the evolution of, of um, you know, technology take us to the place we need to be. Um, the Biden administration is clearly making a different tact, and it's hurting them on a number of different fronts. So right now, what I find fascinating is uh, on the Ukrainian situation, I don't remember this with any other administration. They're saying everything, at least they're telling us, they're saying all the intelligence they get about a false flag operation, the date, January, uh, February 16th, it's going to start. They're telling us everything. And I know it's in a way they're saying, if I tell the media what we know, and I'm going to say the outsider perspective, then maybe Vladimir Putin won't go ahead with his plan. They had a conversation yesterday, Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. They both agreed nothing was accomplished. Today, uh, the chancellor of Germany is meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin. Zelensky's taking some Western leaders. But for the most part, it said basically it's a break for impact. How do you feel about the tact of telling us everything and how unique that is? It's very unique, and I guess it is to say when this happens, we told you so, I suppose. But it seems like an effort to try to get back to the table. You know, Ukraine is now throwing everything at it. He's The Ukrainian president is inviting President Biden to come visit Kiev in the next couple of days. You know, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. But I think that this is all an effort to try to convince Putin to get back to negotiating. I, you know, Lavrov, the foreign minister from Russia, has signaled publicly that that's what he's advocating for. Um, I, I think it's really unique to say it's going to happen X days. I think this is a, um, a after effect of Afghanistan and getting Americans out as quickly as possible. Uh, whether it be through Poland on the ground or through commercial airlines. 
uh, from from the Capitol. So uh, there's a little bit of a problem, and I know this is inside Washington, but it should matter to everybody about what happened in Afghanistan. They do an after-action report. It's a FOIA request from the Washington Post, 2,000 pages, about what was really going on leading up to the disastrous exit from that country. And the president of the United States says, I reject those findings. I was talking to somebody over the weekend who put together those findings and says they've been trying desperately to brief him. He never read them. He's never been told about them, and he hasn't read them. And then Jake Sullivan tripled down, cut 18. We cannot perfectly predict the day, but we have now been saying for some time that we are in the window and an invasion could begin, a major military action could begin by Russia in Ukraine any day now. That All includes. Right. I, uh, I called the wrong number. I don't blame Eric for that. Cut 38. Well, first of all, uh, to the point about the report you just mentioned, the president uh, and I sitting here today do reject the reports in The Washington Post that the White House or the NSC uh, sought to slow down the evacuation. This was the a FOIA opposite is version true. of from an the army president, report. From, from the president on down, uh, it was the White House and the NSC pushing military leaders and diplomats day by day through those early days of August to say, should we begin the evacuation now? And as soon as, the minute our military leaders and diplomats recommended to the president that he do so, literally that minute he ordered the evacuation. So there's gonna, there could be a little of an issue. You know how the Pentagon gets bent out of shape like the intelligence organizations. Are they not going to get bent out of shape here because they're, accu- they're inaccurately portraying what happened? Yeah, I think they will, and there's going to be a battle. I mean, this stuff is not coming out. Um, you know, there's a reason here. We've, we've heard whispers about this for a long time, about what was happening on the inside and what was being recommended across the board to the president. Uh, and the inaction that that he took and and that led to a series of of really catastrophic decisions uh, when it came to Americans on the ground. Uh, so I think you're going to continue to hear this privately, but then this report for the president to say he he discounts it. You know that's an interesting answer. I mean, why not say I haven't read it fully? I'm yeah. going to examine it, or I'm really going to dig into this. This is important. We have to get it right the next time. Uh, it's just a fascinating answer to say I discount that. But Joe Biden has a history of having, you know, kind of a prickly relationship with uh, military commanders. Well, he wants to keep that up. He's doing a great job. We don't want to see him break that. I think so. um, yeah. here is here's something. So do we agree that the exit from Afghanistan was messy? Do we agree with that? Yeah. I mean, OK, so you do you agree that we didn't get everybody out? The- President Biden. Right. Even if you're a supporter, you have to say it was massive. All right. Number two, do you think we got everybody out that we should have? No. Okay. No. I mean, all the Afghan allies that worked alongside of us uh, are still in in danger. You talk about audacity. When I heard this, I could not believe it. Not only does the State Department not agree with that, Jake Sullivan not concur with that, but he actually thinks it's part of the reason why people are taking their time getting out of the Ukraine. Listen to this. Cut 39. Afghanistan does play into this in an important way. Uh, Because the American people saw the United States deploy thousands of soldiers and then evacuate 124,000 people from Kabul last August, it's totally possible that there are some Americans out there in Ukraine thinking the exact same thing is going to happen in Ukraine. And it's our obligation to indicate to them that that is not, in fact, the case. Really? Anybody stuck in the Ukraine might be like, don't worry, the Americans are coming for me after Afghanistan? Are you kidding? Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, clearly the the Ukraine action and how they're talking is a result of Afghanistan. Yes, but it, but it's not from that point of view. <laughs> it's from the other point of view. 
like we're on our own. I thought that was clear. I, it's unbelievable. I'm just, I was, when I heard that, I, maybe I was the only one flabbergasted, but I had to share that with you. I agree. Uh, Brett, really it's a matter, it's not our, it's not ours, but it is days away. Your big all-star panel event in Naples, Florida to benefit the Children's National Hospital. Uh, it'll be February 19th. Uh, that's Saturday. Uh, you're going to go through with this, right? <laughs> We're doing it. It's going to be fun. And um, today, 8 a.m., uh, the silent auction opened up, and there's some amazing stuff on there. Uh, and it's nationwide. Anybody can bid. You go to allstarpanelevent.com, allstarpanelevent.com, and you click on silent auction. And you can see all of the items. There's like 50 items, some great stuff that you can only get there. For example, Jim Nance does your voicemail. That's pretty good. Um, I think, <laughs> what are you doing? I think we have a tour of Fox & Friends. You get to watch behind, go behind the scenes at Fox & Friends. That's right. And then I think the curvy couch, you're going to do like a um, a shout out to somebody if if they want to say happy birthday, grandma. I think so. Yeah, that that's easily done. So uh, thank you. Uh, Brian is really the anchor of this whole thing. He's the reason all these people came. And um, yeah, I mean, that's what my study shows. I did a a event. (laughs) I did a survey of everyone that joined up and they mostly cite me, Brett, not you, the creator and founder who is creating all this, uh, finding all this money for the Children's Hospital because you saw them in action for the great things they did for your son and continue to do as he gets older. Yeah, he's he's doing great. But um, we spent a lot of time at Children's National and they're doing crazy stuff for pediatric health, Um, not just here in this region, but around the world. Yeah, so it'll be great. And I, I guess we're going to stream it somewhere. Dana Perino, uh, Jesse Waters, Harris Faulkner, Shannon Bream, and most of all, Brett Baer, the All-Star Panel event. And um, and the silent auctions items are online right now at? AllStarPanelEvent.com. Great. Um, or you just click donate and do that. You'll, you'll feel great, uh, even better about yourself. Hey, Brett, uh, best of luck. I'll see you in a few days. All right. We'll see you down there. All right. Uh, Brett Baer, thanks. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, let's wrap it up by finding out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. All right, Plenty of Fish is the name of a uh, polling company, and they asked, what about Valentine's Day? Should it be strictly about romance? 67% of respondents believe Valentine's Day should not be purely romantic holiday. 43% of singles, 50% women, 36% men believe Valentine's Day should include all forms of love. Overall, 61% of respondents say they should feel they feel less romantic pressure this Valentine's Day than in previous years. I'm not sure if that's pandemic-related. Next. Yeah, uh, this is sad news. Legendary movie producer and director Ivan Reitman, who worked on things like Animal House, Stripes, and Ghostbusters, they made America a funnier's place, passed away at the age of 75. He died peacefully in his sleep. Reitman was born in Czechoslovakia in 1946 and was very, very funny. Next, Chinese diplomats claim tennis star Peng Shui is too strong to have been sexually assaulted. Quote, she's a very successful athlete, and physically she can handle many things better than many other men. Okay, I guess she's made a false claim. If you're big and strong, you can't be assaulted. We all know that. Love it, China. Given her maturity of mind and maturity of her physical condition, she can take care of herself. 
That's right. There's no thing, such things as weapons in power. We continue. The city of Boston apologized for accidentally sharing information disclosing that about 100 employees were unvaccinated and have been tested positive for the coronavirus. Okay, sorry. Next, the University of Chicago Student Organization is demanding that the administration pay $1 billion in reparations for the city's south side. In an op-ed February 9th, the University of Chicago against displacement argued the University of Chicago should pay $1 billion uh, to the city for over 20 years, arguing that it will protect Southsiders from displacement. Uh, the group proposes the Chicago University provide uh, $20 billion, $1 billion over 20 years in grant funding. So we'll see how that goes. Next, three health benefits of eating chocolate. Yes, it's good for you. Scientists say that eating chocolate is good for both heart and the brain over the years. We've documented these findings along with other great research in chocolate. It's good for the heart and blood vessels, improves brain health. Chocolate may help combat diabetes. My sense is that some company in bed with chocolate did this. Researchers performed their experiment on animals who are a great sense of whether they like chocolate or not, feeding them high-fat diets such as ectamine mononos, which I thought of, which are compounds found mainly in coca, and that's how they found out about it. Congratulations. Hey, thanks so much for watching my uh, Saturday show at 8 and 11 o'clock Eastern Time, One Nation. Please continue to uh, watch and learn. We'll have Anthony Robbins featured. I went to his house over the weekend. You'll see that feature on Saturday. And don't forget to keep listening to this show. And if you want any of my books, like The President Freedom Fighter, Sam uh, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, go to BrianKillMe.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.